The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, before we get into it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we really want to get those numbers up, and we would just really appreciate it. So please subscribe, guys. Tonight, we are good. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. We got Iowa State, Neil Brown, Oklahoma this weekend, and WVU's basketball team earning a victory last night. So let's dive right into it. Um, let's start with West Virginia losing to Iowa State 31-14. to um, I really do feel like WVU football is at, I don't know if it's an all time low, but it's pretty close. Definitely the lowest in my lifetime. And I'm 34 years old. Um, I know Don Nealon had some down years. Rich Rod's first season only had three wins. Dana even had a four win season. So we've experienced down years here and there. However, um, it has been a long, long time since WVU has been bad for several years in a row. Um, and I know we went to a bowl game and won it a few years ago, but even that didn't feel like a high. That just felt like an average year. And the losses are just starting to pile up. The embarrassing performances are starting to pile up. And, uh, you know, if we see one this Saturday versus Oklahoma at home, I guarantee you Mountaineer fans are going to be vocal and Neil Brown is going to be getting an earful. So, how do you feel about this past weekend and the one coming up? Yeah, I, I think this past weekend is, um, I don't know the right way to describe it, but it, it's its kind of like the, the extra weight needed to kind of push me over the edge, not necessarily on the Neil Brown firing hype train, I guess you could say. I, I've already been on that, but in terms of me um, realizing how bad a shape the football program is in, um, you know, I wasn't expecting going into Iowa state and winning necessarily. I thought it was going to be a close game, but losing the way that we did. Um, and then also kind of the culmination of events that have happened this season with, you know, the no shows at a higher frequency than we've ever seen. Um, the collapses, the poor coaching decisions, the stubbornness, um, you know, all of that has kind of culminated in, into kind of realizing where we are now. I mean, we, we, we have great recruiting classes and we win the off season, but when it comes to what happens on the field, um, Neil Brown just has not been able to get it done. And right now I think with the state of the program, what Neil Brown has done or shown that he cannot do and the athletic department's response to what he has done so far this season has left me really, really, really concerned for the direction of this football program and more concerned than I have been in my entire life. I mean, you, you alluded to Don Neeling kind of being the coach there during all of our young formative years. And then we got Rich Rod, and after Rich Rod left, it felt a little scary. Um, but Bill Stewart had three good years, and then we got Dana, and I think we all felt good about Dana, even though the first few years were a little up and down. Um, but he did have a nice long run here who, where – you know, we had some seasons where we could feel really good about. We had some seasons where we wanted a little bit more, but all in all, it felt like, you know, there was always hope going into the season and there was always hope 
coming around the midpoint of the season that we can make some noise or at least finish as a top 25 team. And, and Neil Brown has extinguished any sort of hope that we used to have in those years. Yeah. 100% with you. I mean, uh, just let's highlight some of the stuff over the Iowa state game. JT Daniels, eight for 22 for 81 yards, easily JT's worst performance this season, probably of his entire football career. And, um, you know, in the second half with JT Daniels as the starting quarterback, WVU did not pick up one single first down when JT Daniels was in, in the second half. That's just absurd. He went three and out four straight times in the second half. And he went three and out seven times overall throughout the whole game. Um, which leads me to this question. Why was Neil Brown so reluctant to give another QB a chance? Um, and I know we we said that a lot last year as well, but this is really the first, maybe second time all year we've really even thought about it. But um, it, it really seemed like the perfect opportunity to give another guy a chance to give us a spark. He didn't have to bench JT for the entire year because he put him on the bench against Iowa State, but he he definitely should have benched him earlier than he did. Um, Here's another question I got for you. Can someone ask Neil Brown if Garrett Green is capable of running anything other than a QB draw right up the middle? Because if so, I don't understand why they even give Garrett Green snaps in the middle of a game, because they run the same exact play every single time. Teams know it's coming, and it only picks up two or three yards because teams just sit on it. So I don't get it. Um, you know, it was a three point game up until the fourth quarter. So I feel like benching JT a little earlier than they did. Who knows? Might've provided the spark that they needed to get back in that game. I think it's possible, but I, I think, you know, there's, you know, and I'm not trying to necessarily defend JT Daniels because obviously the things I'm going to say may make him sound like a, you know, sound worse off, but, you know, without any sort of inside knowledge, just kind of speculating, you know, I think he came into WVU expecting more. Um, I, I do think, you know, just from the way that he's been throwing the ball and his inconsistent accuracy at times, there is some sort of injury that he's probably dealing with. Um, and on top of that, because he has that label of injury prone, he wants to kind of dispel that. So he's probably playing through it. And then you also have those questions that Neil Brown answers every week is, JT healthy. And he always answers, well, you have to ask him that, which is very strange situation. I don't get that at all. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a lot of different things that go into it and, you know, there could be frustration with JT Daniels. There could be an injury that he's battling with. Um, it could be, you know, maybe he has just kind of given up. Um, none of those reasons are reasons why we shouldn't try someone else. Um, I, I definitely think it's worth exploring. Um, however, with that being said, I do think, you know, based on what we've seen from JT Daniels at the beginning of the year, I do think he is the quarterback that we would like to bring back and start the games next year for whoever we come back with. I know that doesn't affect Neil Brown at all. Um, you know, I don't know if there's any sort of directive from people above Neil Brown to say you don't pull JT Daniels unless we say so, which again would be a really weird scenario. So it doesn't really make sense, but I mean, this whole scenario that we're in right now with Neil Brown kind of doesn't make sense either. So um, I think there's a lot of room for, quote unquote, conspiracy theories. But, um, you know, all, all I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, there's also 
you know, we could ask the same questions about guys in the secondary and why we've been doing that all year too. So um, the whole Neil Brown tenure so far has, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of the same questions and um, all of those questions about why aren't certain guys playing when are, why aren't other guys? I mean, um, it's all kind of led to his failure. So I think it's a fair question to ask. You have to hold people accountable, but we know he hasn't done that. You have to bench players when they're not performing. We know he hasn't done that. So I, I think the only reason is, is that's Neil Brown's thing. Yeah, I definitely think it's Neil Brown. I mean, we saw it with Jared Dagey all last year when he would have questionable performances and he would just refuse to try anything other than Dagey. And I feel like we're seeing the same thing now. JT had six really bad quarters in a row and he was just unwilling to try anyone else in there. And I get our lines banged up. We have running backs banged up and I'm sure that affects the whole offense, but JT has just been off. And if he's hurt, I mean, Hey, people get hurt. It's on the head coach to say, Hey, you're so hurt that you are affecting our play that you need to have a seat. I mean, that's what the head coach gets paid a big bucks to do. He shouldn't leave it on the quarterback to decide um, when, when he's playing that off. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I agree. My opinion. It's just strange. I mean, I don't know how else to explain other than it's just, there's a lot of things like, like I just said that it's hard to explain why Neil Brown does the things he does. And I think this is just another example of what is he doing? Well, here's another thing that made me scratch my head in that game. Why didn't WVU try at all to establish a run game during that game? And I get it. Tony Mathis was out. CJ Dan or Donaldson was out. Um, but again, it was a three point game. Most of the game in the passing game. I mean, we just read you the numbers. It was horrible the entire day. Justin Johnson finished with an okay stat line, 12 carries, 48 yards. I mean, that's good yards per carry. Um, but what I thought was really strange was not one single carry for Jalen Anderson or Rucker, the two backups. Um, I kind of understand Rucker not getting any touches. He's a walk-on. He's you know been really, really far down the depth chart all season, so he probably doesn't have a ton of practice. Um, but why not give Jalen Anderson a chance, maybe even a handful of carries to get something going? Uh, why lean so heavily on a passing game that's going nowhere? Jalen Anderson, he's a four-star running back. He's in his second year in the program. Yeah, he's a redshirt freshman, but he's been here two years. I'm sure he knows the plays. And I'm sure he's gotten some practice reps in these last several weeks with Mathis being banged up here and there, Donaldson being banged up here and there, even Justin Johnson being banged up. I'm sure he's getting reps in practice at various points. So I really don't understand what the excuse would be for having him on the roster um, he got thrown out there a few times to pass block, but I mean, they didn't give him one single chance to run the ball. And at no point did they try mixing in a run game. I don't know. Once again, just very head scratching to me, because as we know, our best offensive games this year is when we've established a decent running game. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand it. I mean, Jalen Anderson is a guy that I've been really high on. I do think that he is someone um, at least from, reports from you know during the summer and spring and when he came on he came on late um kind of dealing with weight issues and kind of getting up to speed with different things but still that's not an excuse for you know get at least giving him a shot and seeing what he can do i mean um you know regardless if you trusted him or not you know you you could 
it still doesn't excuse why you're giving Justin Johnson only 12 carries either. I mean, you you probably could have given him 20 if you wanted to. Um, There's no reason not to do that. So, I mean, I I think in football in general, unless you have Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, you know, on your football team or the equivalent, you, you need to be running the ball at least 20 times. And if that's a combination of two guys running for 20 times, or if that's one guy running for 20 times, 25 times, whatever it may be, you got to get that done because then you just become too predictable. So um, at this point, you know, it's, again, it's just, I don't care who does it. We just need to do it. And um, Justin Johnson has proven himself. um, And Jalen Anderson is someone that, like you said, there's a lot of things that point to him possibly at least being a productive running back at some point in his career. But again, it's like the guys in the secondary, it's like guys at wide receiver. It's like guys at linebacker. Um, we don't know why we're so stuck on holding other guys back whenever there's either no one in front of them or the guys in front of them aren't performing. Yeah. I mean, the only excuse I could see for that is our secondary. I mean, we got a lot of injuries there and they've thrown a lot of guys out there, but all the other positions, I mean, I I don't understand what the excuse is. And here's another thing. I I don't know if you guys listen to all Neil Brown's press conferences like I do, but I'm really getting sick of listening to him and hearing him saying stuff we all know he's not going to do. Like all Brown talked about prior to that game was how injuries are an excellent chance for backups to show up, earn playing time, and really have great opportunities to cash in on. And like we just said, he didn't even play any of those backup halfbacks. So he he constantly just proves that he's not going to play backups. So why make that comment in the press conference? We've seen it for four years now. Um, and, and it's like you always say, if he doesn't name a player the starter in August or early September, then you're probably not going to see him play very much, barring injury. So... I mean, he even talked about getting Green involved in the running game if necessary. Let's be honest. He clearly had no intentions of ever doing that. I mean, all he did was run Garrett out there to run his little QB draw that he always does. Um, I just don't understand why he he just flat out lies in these press conferences sometimes. Like, he, I don't know. He, he always claims he's going to change this or that, but the approach seems the same in every single game. He says we need to play faster tempo this game. We played the same exact tempo we always played, running it down to the end of the play clock. Just nothing ever changes. And, and I mean, I know some of those reporters do try to pin them on stuff. I'll, I'll give Mike Oste credit and some other guys, but uh, it, it seems like no one ever really grills him after the game. I feel like after the game is when they really just softball him questions. Um, and, and somebody asked, you brought it up earlier. People keep asking him for three weeks now if JT's hurt. And he says, ask JT, um, why don't they really ask him a follow-up question and say, well, do you not know? Like, why, why can't you give us an answer? On that? We want to talk about his performance and why he's playing poorly. And if he's trying to hide an injury to, to help teams not game plan on it, I kind of get that. But um, let's not sit here and act like he's Bill Belichick and he's like disguising <laughs> you know, the plays they like to run and all this stuff. I mean, he he's so predictable and everything else. Why is he being so stubborn about talking about his quarterback? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that kind of um, stuck out to me today that Neil Brown said was um, 
one, he he said, expect a more exciting, I think it was something along those lines, an exciting product on Saturday. Um, and then he also kind of pleaded with the fans that, you know, he wanted people to come out and root for the team. Um, and it's, you know, it's like all kind of like a marketing play. I think Neil Brown at this point, what he is, is just a snake oil salesman who just says the right things in order to get you to buy that, that rusty old car um, that only has 200,000 miles on it and he, he's selling it. Um, and that, that's, that's what he's good at. And, you know, maybe that's why he's a great recruiter, but it just doesn't work on the field because you can't, you can't convince the other team not to do something that you can't defend against. You can't convince the other team to stop acting your weakness. Um, so, you know, he, he has to actually put into place or let someone on his staff put into place something that works. And unfortunately it seems like either one, um, he has people in positions who are willing to bow down to him whenever um, he says he wants to do things a certain way. And two, he surrounds himself with, with, with his buddies. So, um, you know, it's just a big echo chamber for him. And again, it's, it's day after day after day um, for the past four years, where it's just become more and more apparent that Neil Brown really doesn't have what it takes to be a power five coach because he just doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't adapt enough to what he needs to do as a coach. Even if he is seeing, like you said, he's acknowledging the things that we need to do more of. He just won't accept it. And you can't, you can't coach that way. You can't even live that way. I mean, so I, I just don't get it. I, I don't at all. I don't either. And we're starting to see, I mean, we've seen over the past few years, former WVU players like Terrence Garvin. Um, I think even Sean Alston spoke out at some point, lots of them about how they don't like the direction the program's going under Neil Brown. But lately we've been seeing comments from former players um, that were here when Neil Brown was here even. So, um, and, and the one that really jumps out, you were showing it to me the other day was Mark Martel Petaway, the former running back was really saying, um, this shouldn't come as a shock to anyone. I mean, this is why so many of us transferred, which, Hey, I get it. Not all players are going to like their coach. You're not going to get along with everyone. Um, but I, I just thought that was so shocking that Martel Petaway is saying, you know, I, I saw this from the get-go, and this is why we left. We didn't leave for playing time or for scheme reasons. We left because this is how Neil Brown is. And I thought that was really eye-opening. And I know you got some more players who, um, you know, I can't think of off the top of my head, former Neil Brown players who spoke out this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I know in that same comment thread you had um, a former Rich Rod player kind of commented on Martel Petaway basically saying, you know, um, you know, it is kind of a culture thing and, and Rich Rod had a different culture and he kind of had control of the program in a different way. Um, and then, you know, I think Terrell, Terrell Chestnut has come out openly speaking about, um, you know, Neil Brown and how he doesn't necessarily believe in it. Um, and I mean, it seems like more and more players are coming out day in, day, day, in, day out that, that are speaking of, I can't, think of any more off the top of my head but I, I know Terrell Tresna is one who did it really recently um but I mean again that's that's not really a good sign and we also heard it from recent players who um transferred not necessarily in the same class as Martel Petaway but you know you had guys like Darrell Middleton who I think a lot of people kind of saw as a as a bad egg um who ended up transferring numerous times and he said something to remember um uh, about Neil Brown um so, yeah, I mean, there's 
there's a lot of murmurs that you hear uh, through the pipeline, others that, you know, you can't really say anything about that you hear, but um, you know, th- those are ones that you just kind of push off because you don't know what to make of it. I mean, you have people who are leaving and they don't have great things to say about things. Um, and you kind of just push them off because you think, okay, well, these guys just aren't good fits or they're thinking of themselves too much or they're selfish. Um, but in situations like these, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, what, how much weight those things were carrying and if it's really true how it is and the players who are sticking around why are they sticking around is it more just for the university you know i think of someone like bryce ford wheaton who has a huge lineage to west virginia gary stills stuck around and he has ties to the what the university with his dad so you know are those guys sticking around more for the university than neil brown and uh, what's going to come out after some of these players leave and are able to speak more freely and it's hard to say. And then how many more transfers are going to come out after this season because of the way that he's handling his depth chart. Um, it makes you worry a lot about the program and how things are going to be moving forward. Yeah, 100%. And I want to correct myself. I think it was Chestnut, not Terrence Garvin, who came out and said something, because I don't know if Terrence Garvin really did. So I don't want to <laughs> claim he did if he didn't. But yeah, it was... Uh, chestnut who i was thinking of and yeah just a lot of former players which kind of leads me to it it does seem like at least on camera that he treats starters differently than backups um and i know the the guy everyone liked to talk about last year was garrett green that they thought he treated garrett green differently than he treated say jared daigie and it does seem that way it seems like backups have a lot shorter leash which um, I guess you would assume because maybe you don't trust him as much. But even if you just watch the body language of Garrett Green's last drive, how he was just screaming at him and pushing him back into the huddle, it just seemed very odd because you, you never saw him treat JT Daniels like that. You never saw him treat Jared Deggy like that. And uh, it seems like every time Green is in the game, when he's running off the field, Neil is not happy with him for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's just... You know, he does that to all backups or what, but maybe that is why certain people like Petaway and some of these other guys left because, um, you know, maybe they just didn't like they were being treated being a second or third string guy. Yeah. I feel like the guys who are named starter are guys that it feels like the coaching staff can trust. It's not necessarily based on ability, it's based on when I put them out there, are they going to know what to do? And are they not going to kind of deviate from the plan too wildly? And, you know, for someone like Garrett green, and I'm sure there's other backups out there who have a ton of talent. They're just, you know, that they're, they're more of a freewheeling style of player. Like they're maybe not going to always just run the play to the T. And if you have a great player, I, you know, I think you got to give them a little bit more leeway. You can't have everything as structured as you want it to be. And I feel like, Neil Brown, in terms of scheme, is a very structured person now in terms of discipline. That's a whole different story. But, you know, it's all kind of just showing more and more that how much he desires the structure and how much he desires the ability to control what he's putting out on the field, um, control the pace of the game, and being able to manage things that way. But, you know, again, as we've kind of 
talked about before. And I, I think we had some comments on a, one of our previous YouTube videos talking about, you know, if you want to play that, you know, time of possession control style of play, it really doesn't work in power five, unless you have the personnel to do it. And the personnel to do it is you got to have a running back that can run the ball 20, 25 times, or at least a tandem of running backs that can do that. You need to have a really good offensive line and a tight end, and maybe even a fullback. You need to rely on a, a play action style of game offensively, defensively, you got at least bend and don't break. I mean, at the very least, um, play aggressively when you need to play conservative when you're not, you can't just play one style. And, you know, it seems like Neil Brown's recruiting efforts, Neil Brown's team construction efforts, Neil Brown's kind of hiring efforts have kind of not really put us in a position to play that style. So, you know, it, it really doesn't make any sense as to why he desires the structure so much whenever, and, and the trust, whenever, the product that he puts on the field really doesn't mimic that at all. Yeah, that that's an excellent point, really. I mean, you got to be built like a Michigan or a Wisconsin to really embrace that style of play, and we are clearly not built like that at no. all. Um, which, uh, I mean, this all leads back to what everyone's been talking about for weeks. Neil Brown, a lot of people want him fired, and there there have been multiple scenarios floating around, almost to the point of annoyance on social media, where everyone is you know, just throwing out all kinds of stuff. But here are the three most believable ones that are out there. And I think everyone can agree. One of these three things is going to happen. Scenario one, Coach Brown gets fired once WVU is officially eliminated from bowl eligibility. And that's the next time they lose. Once they lose, they're officially out of a bowl game. And I know most people are saying that's off the table now. That's that's the hot thing everyone's saying. No, he's coming back next year no matter what. But what if WVU gets shelled at home by Oklahoma? What if they get shelled at home by Oklahoma and Kansas State? Um, can the higher-ups at WVU really ignore that? So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that scenario? I mean, backing up kind of just one step, you know, I think the perfect time would have been to do it uh, is on Sunday because, you know, you're, you're flying back. Um, you have a home game coming up, um, but that didn't happen. So that's kind of why we're talking about these other scenarios here. And that's, I think a lot of people expected Neil Brown not to be the head coach of WVU come Monday. Unfortunately here, here we are. And I think we're all kind of frustrated about it, but this, the next best scenario is the one that we're talking about here where, you know, you fire him after he loses his next game, you know, we get that seventh loss. And I think that's a very likely scenario. We're not going to win three straight. I'm be absolutely shocked if we lost three games, but I, I think, you know, by not, by firing him sooner rather than later, you can kind of, you know, free things up quite a bit. You can get a better sense on who's coming in, who, who's staying, who's leaving. You can start kind of re-recruiting guys internally. Um, you can kind of figure out if there's guys on your staff that you want to bring back. I mean, I know other coaches when they come in, don't necessarily like hiring guys from the previous staff, but at least, you know, you can give them that, that opportunity and be like, Hey, this guy knows these guys. And we know these guys are going to stay if this guy stays. So if you want to hire him, he's willing to stay, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, from a money standpoint, it really doesn't matter because Neil Brown's making every penny, regardless of if he coaches tomorrow or if he coaches four more years, um, and, you know, honestly for Shane Lyons, if this is his decision, his decision alone, which I doubt it is, it's probably better for him to do it sooner rather than later. 
And the reason for that is, is, you know, you're going to all, you have to take fans into an account. And right now the fans are frustrated and it's going to be hard to see half empty stadiums out there. If you're an alumni, if you're a donor who has money. And if you let the longer you let this drag on, I mean, if Neil Brown loses badly to Oklahoma and then you have Kansas state coming in, who's ranked and you know, fans are probably going to be, it normally would be pumped to come in and root for the Mountaineers for an upset. Um, how many people are going to show up? And then if you lose to Oklahoma State, how many people are going to actually tune in? How many people are actually going to be on social media or, you know, buying WVU jerseys the next day or going to the team shop looking for, you know, another WVU headband to buy or whatever? You know, it, it, there's just so many different ramifications that come in that people just don't think about, you know, season ticket sales for next year. And, you know, the longer you hold on to that, how many people are going to renew? So um, th- those are kind of the pros and cons that, you know, I think the organization kind of needs to think about because we all kind of know how we feel. And I think some people are on a different level of the spectrum of outrage to pissed off. Um, I don't think there's too many people right now who are sitting there just be like, we're fine. Um, and I'm, I know those people do exist because I've seen them on social media, but um, I would say seven, at least 70%, if not more, are more in that pissed off to outrage um, territory. And then over time, as we lose more games, if we don't fire Neil Brown before scenario two, which is the next one, um, more people are going to move from that pissed off to the outraged. And if you have 70% of your fam- fan base outraged, that's when heads above the head coach start to roll. Yeah. Well, you kind of bled right into scenario too. You know, if they let Neil Brown coach out the rest of the season, no matter what, and they let him go after the Oklahoma state game, you know, what if attendance for these last two home games are abysmal? What if WVU finishes three and nine, which I mean, I don't think we've been that bad since Rich Rod's first year over 20 years ago. Um, you just aren't going to sell a lot of season tickets that way. I guarantee you, uh, the season tickets next year are going to drop um, uh, so much if they only win three or four games, which is looking pr- pretty likely. Um, so we can just jump right to scenario three. And this is the rumor our buddy Coos from Coos Corner mentioned. And um, of course, I've heard a lot of other people mention it online as well after his video. But supposedly the plan now is Brown is coming back next year no matter what. Um, but Shane Lyons is going to force him to change some of his assistant coaches. That's that's the deal. So what is your thoughts on that scenario? I think that sounds like it's an all or nothing play from the athletic director. It's pure power. It's pure I don't know what the right word is, but it's kind of, you know, a situation where, you know, you're really doubling down on the situation that you created. And that really is going to put in the, basically tie Shane Lyons to Neil Brown. So I think if something like that happens, you basically probably have a three game window where, you know, the higher ups are going to be watching very closely. And if you start out, Oh, and three, one and two, you could probably very quickly see Shane Lyons and Neil Brown get fired really quickly. But even in that scenario right now, WVU is one of the few power five schools who are hiring. You know, it's a very good job. It's in a very strong, secure conference. People should probably want to coach in the big 12. Um, and, and, you know, we bring in a lot of money and there's a lot of opportunity here. 
we don't know what that situation is going to be like next year. We don't know, you know, what other jobs are going to be made available. We don't know what's going to happen to recruiting. We don't know who's going to stay and go. We don't know how many of the people who are verbally committed to us now are going to stick around, whether Brown stays or goes. And, you know, if you drag that into next year on the, on the back of, okay, we keep Neil Brown so we can keep this recruiting class together. That's borderline top 25. Um, how many of those players are then going to leave if that season fails or if you start off 0 and 3 and you fire them because you Shane Lyons is on the hot seat and if you fire Shane Lyons you're basically firing Neil Brown because the new AD isn't going to want that head coach so um that's the worst case scenario and really it could really set the program back quite a bit because it's really going to make i think anyone who comes into the job question kind of what type of program are running here at WVU? And if the people who even Shane Lyons answers to what their priorities are, like, what are you going to allow happen? Are you going to be more strict this time? Am I going to have less leeway on what I'm able to do because the leeway you gave the last guy or, you know, what type of feedback are you going to give me so that, you know, I know what my leash is so that I don't go out and make a decision like that, not something as drastic, but something, you know, that I might have to look over my shoulder about. And if you give me the go ahead to do it, do I have to look over my shoulder and worry about, am I going to get fired three games in? So it's a really tightrope kind of walk if you do that. And it could really put us back at least a half a decade, I would say, if that is the scenario that ends up playing out. Here's my thoughts. It's very, very likely we're going to go one and three to start next year. You got Penn State and Pitt as I think their first two games, they're definitely two of their first three because they have their FCS opponent in there too. Um, And so obviously Penn going to Penn state. I mean, I I don't have a lot of confidence in that and Pitt at home's a winnable game, but as we know um, it's very likely WVU starts the year one and two. So if that's me making the decision, just pull the cord now, just get it over with. Don't, you know, put us back a whole nother year. Um, But that's just my thinking. I think they're just trying to save this recruiting class. And I also think they just don't want to fork over the money. I mean, the buyout is what keeps getting brought up. And that's really starting to annoy me hearing about the buyout. You know, this argument that the buyout is too much and it'll set athletics back. Of course it will. Um, But I mean, that's the situation Shane Lyons put you in. So I mean, why do the fans have to suffer because he's making terrible decisions at the top? And, you know, when we're going, when are we just going to admit Neil Brown's not the right coach here? I mean, does anyone have full confidence that he's going to do a 180 next year? Um, I think best case scenario, he limps to a 500 record. And is is that really what we're aiming for nowadays? Um, I mean, Neil Brown, when he came here, was a hot hire. But keep in mind, um, Vic Koning was a big reason for his success at Troy and he lost Vic Koning. Um, and I, I honestly think that's what made those Troy teams special. I mean, they had tough defense while he was down there and he lost Koning. I, I think that's what lost, you know, all of his luster really as a head coach. Um, and if you just look around the NCAA, what other people have done, Paul Chris was fired at Wisconsin. They owed him $21 million they negotiated it down to $11 million. Scott Frost got paid $15 million in his buyout 
at Nebraska. And Nebraska could have saved themselves $8 million if they would have just waited 20 more days. But they didn't want to wait. They were ready to move on and, and hopefully save their athletics for next year. Auburn owns uh, Brian Harson $15 million. And yeah, I get it. You're probably saying, well, those are SEC schools. Those are Big Ten schools. They make more money than the Big 12. And you're right. Um, but I mean, you even have Jeff Collins from the ACC is owed north of $10 million. I mean, yeah, that's less than Neil Brown's, but it, it's in the wheelhouse. Um, why are all these other schools making these decisions? But for whatever reason, we have to do mental gymnastics and just like, you know, keep Neil Brown where he's at because they're not willing to fork over, which I'm sure will be probably close to $20 million once you get rid of his assistance. But um, I don't know. I, I just don't understand why the fans have to suffer because they're making terrible decisions in that athletic department. Yeah, and I, I think the buyout thing is, you know, it's overstated. It is a lot of money. Um, but to your point, you can negotiate it down. So in the contract, there's two different options. Do you continue to pay Neil Brown as you've been paying him every month? You pay Neil Brown the same amount that you've been paying him as he's employed now. So if you would fire him today, he would get the same monthly payments every month for the next four years. And you could do that. That's you don't have to give him a lump sum. There's also a stipulation in the contract where you can negotiate for a lump sum. So the lump sum could be the equal remaining amount of the contract or a negotiated amount. Um, you know, and there's benefit for Brown negotiating for that lump sum because, you know, over the course of four years, that money's going to depreciate. You know, the four million today is not worth four million tomorrow. So if you take a lump sum of even $12 million, that's pretty good. And then you get to walk away clean and you don't have to necessarily worry about finding a job right away, worrying about that offset information. You know, I don't know how that works. If we would pay him, say, $15 million now and he finds a job that pays him $15 million again over the course of, say, three years somewhere else, you know, he might not have to pay that offset penalty either. So. Um, it might just be better for Brown to do that negotiation. That's something I don't know. Um, but I doubt that WV would be like, oh, you're making more money now. You owe us money back. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that that's the way it works because that would be really tough to enforce. But, you know, the, the situation is, I mean, right now our athletic department is making, what, $30, $40 million a year from our TV deal. So, I mean, there's money there. Obviously, all that money is probably tied up in other things. Um, you also have money in um, endowment funds, which I'm not sure what those can necessarily be used for because a lot of those are earmarked for certain things. But WVU has a $700 million endowment fund. Um, is all of that earmarked? Could any of that be reallocated to the athletic department? I don't know. Um, WVU also has some big time donors. You have someone like Ken Kendrick, who's a billionaire, and $20 million to him would be a drop in the pan. So if he's pissed off enough, he could probably pay it single-handedly if he wanted to. Now, obviously, there's going to be would be a trade-off with that because he'd probably want a bigger say in who's hired next. So you have to be willing to negotiate those <coughs> um, trade-ins and, and with big-time donors. So um, it all comes down to what Shaden Lyons willing to do, what avenues is he willing to explore, what is he willing to negotiate with, what power is he willing to give up in order to make this happen, and if he's willing to. If he's not willing to, if he wants to stand firm and be the 
you know, the emperor of the West Virginia athletic department, then yeah, sure. It's probably not going to happen. You're not going to find the money because you want the control. And I, I think that's kind of the problem right now. And we've seen it in the past with Shane Lyons is, you know, even when Huggins wanted an extension, there was reports where, you know, Huggins was saying things about the athletic department that he didn't necessarily agree with them. And this was what I think two years ago where he wasn't getting along with Lyons. So, you know, what's, what's, what's up with his ego? What's up with, you know, his need to have this control and not be wrong. And is he willing to sacrifice his entire um, experience, his entire reputation, his entire career at WVU on Neil Brown? And I don't think that's the horse you tie yourself to. It just doesn't seem right. And maybe he's just delusional and he feels like Neil Brown's going to turn it around. But even for Neil Brown in that third scenario that we're talking about, would you even want to stick around if you have 10 guys surrounding you that, you have no relationships with. I'm not saying that they should be your buddies, but guys that are your boss's men and they're watching you, they're telling you what you should be doing. Um, you're set up for failure, you know, basically. So if you win, it's not because of you. If you lose, it's because of you. So it's a no win situation. You completely could damage your reputation as a coach that way. Um, so it's just a mess right now. And, and I can't believe that we're in this situation because I feel like any respectable athletic department wouldn't let it get this far. Yeah. Here's the other thing. A lot of people are saying Neil Brown, you know, shouldn't have to take a pay cut. I mean, he's owed that money. I 100% agree, but has anyone even asked him to take a buyout for lesser money? Like, has that even been pushed across the table? And maybe that is what they're trying to do with this whole scenario that's being rumored out there. Maybe they are trying to make him so uncomfortable that maybe they are setting up for a potential, you know, negotiated buyout and maybe they're saving it for the end of the year. Who knows at this point, it's all speculation. Yeah, but What's that with that situation too? Like, you know, if you're trying to make someone uncomfortable, even in like the third scenario, if that's the way you want to play it to save a few bucks of the big name coaches that could potentially come here, like Hugh freeze, if you're trying to bait him, Jimbo Fisher, are they going to come here and interview and be like, Hey, I saw what you did to know. I have no connections with him, but what are the chances you're going to do that to me? Well, like, they could put it in their contract. I assume if they want it, but, <laughs> um, who knows? We already got boned in the last contract we signed with the head coach. Sure. Here. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. It's it's all speculative right now, and uh, it, it's really putting all of us in a rough situation. The the fans. I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, I I just feel like the fans are the ones who are the most forgotten. The ones who spend money on season tickets, go there, they watch every game, they support you, and they, you know. I feel like the higher ups are just not taking us into consideration at all. So it'll be interesting to see how these next couple games go, especially with attendance. So let's talk about the next game. West Virginia takes on Oklahoma this Saturday in Morgantown. And it should be interesting once again, to see what the turnout ends up being like on that day. I know a lot of people are claiming this is the year WVU can defeat Oklahoma and if you look at their defense, it does give you some hope. Um, they are 93rd in scoring defense, allowing nearly 30 points a game. But Oklahoma is no joke on offense. They rank 36th in points per game and 12th in rushing offense. So, I mean, obviously no game for West Virginia right now is a cupcake anymore. 
But um, I, I find Oklahoma's offense pretty scary myself. I don't have a, I, I don't have high hopes going into Saturday. No, me either. I mean, um, it is a home game. We do normally play better at home. So, I mean, there is that. Um, and, you know, I think the tough thing is, is, you know, kind of what we touched on before with JT Daniels is one, where is his head at? Two, what's his health? Three, what are the coaching staff going to do if he continues to struggle? Because against Oklahoma, you can't really struggle. I mean, Dylan Gabriel has played phenomenal this year. Really the only game where where Oklahoma did nothing on offense was that Texas game and Gabriel didn't play. Um, 2,000 yards on the season, 64% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. And on top of that, he has 287 yards rushing and four touchdowns. Um, He's not someone who is a one-trick pony. He can sling it all over the field. Um, he doesn't have the strongest arm, but he doesn't. He's not shy about pushing the ball deep. Um, he likes working the intermediate areas of the field, and he's someone who can make all the throws that you need him to. Um, he has a ton of college experience. He was the quarterback for for UCF, and um, I forget where he was at last year, where he played the end of the season, but he he did all right there as well. Um, and you know, so you know, he has a lot of experience and he has a lot of talent, um, and that's something that you have to win a shootout against and you can't really do that if you don't know what you're getting from your quarterback um or necessarily what your offensive coordinator is going to be out there calling yeah he's a big dual threat and the other thing is he really takes care of the ball um four picks on the year but three of those were just last week so other than that one game um he he really isn't going to give you any freebies and um you know, they just love to run the ball. They have Eric Gray as their halfback, and he's a heck of a player. He has 900 rushing yards and has eclipsed 100 yards in all but three games this year. So, um, I mean, they rely heavily on him. He even has 20-plus carries in his last three games, so they're not afraid to just really lean on him and Gabriel to carry that offense. The read option is definitely going to give the Mountaineer defense fits if they aren't disciplined about it. And um, let's not forget, I mean, they have Marvin Mims over there, who we're, we've been very familiar with these past couple of years, and he's easily their best wide receiver. He's put up nearly 700 yards. And, um, you know, the scary thing about him is Neil Brown says Charles Woods is, according to him, kind of questionable. I'm not sure what kind of questionable means. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that's promising or if he's leaning towards being out. But WVU is definitely going to need Charles Woods to have any chance of slowing Mims down because, as we know, the rest of our secondary can be a little spotty at times. Yeah, I mean, their offense is is terrifying, and Gray is also a weapon through the air. He has almost 200 yards receiving on the season. He makes people miss. He's averaging over 6.5 yards per carry, which is exceptional. Um, Mims, you know, he's someone who – yeah, I just, I just kind of think of what Baylor did to us in the first half with their deep passes. He's someone who should be able to feast in that situation. Um, average depth of target of 16.5 yards um, per target, um, you know, four touchdowns. He's someone who is really going to be able to get by our defense pretty easily unless we have someone who can kind of at least stay with him, which I'm not sure if we do. Um, and they have a good offensive line. I mean, there's really no weak spot on this offense. They're, they're, Offensive line has only allowed four sacks on the season. Um, they don't let up a lot of pressures. They keep Gabriel clean. Um, they obviously create some really nice rushing lanes for Eric Gray. So, you know, the the one area that we're strong at, it's 
could be pretty easy for Oklahoma to neutralize us there. So there's really not a good matchup that we have against Oklahoma's offense. And, um, you know, it could be a game where if we are to win, it's going to have to be a game where we score in our forties. And um, I'm not sure if, if we can do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary to say. I mean, like we said, their, their defense is weak. We got Tony Mathis coming back. So that's encouraging. Hopefully we can try to establish a run game to help out JT Daniels. Here's my biggest thing is, I mean, I hope JT's back. I hope he's looking like the old JT slinging it in a good run game. But, um, you know, if he's just not working in the first half, I really, really hope Neil Brown is willing to give someone else to put a little spark in this team, especially if it's still a tight ball game like Iowa State was. I mean, it's easy to put in the backup when you're getting blown out and you know you're going to lose. I mean, in Neil Brown's press conference, he said he should have put Garrett Green in the drive before he did. The drive before that, we were still going to lose no matter what. So, I mean, like, what makes the difference? I mean, he says all these things in the press conference that just make me laugh. Like, why didn't you try putting Garrett Green in in the third quarter when we couldn't even pick up a first down to save our life? So, I don't know. I really hope WV's offense is uh, hitting on all cylinders. But like I said, to begin this, um, I'm not feeling super optimistic. No, and, and the one good thing about uh, Oklahoma's defense is that they can't really tackle, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, I was looking at PFF um, and trying to find players to kind of review for this preview. Um, they really don't have too many that I really wanted to touch on or any really standouts. The one stat that I that did stand out to me is they have a hundred. They've been credited for 125 missed tackles on the season so far, wow. which seems high. I mean. That seems like a lot. I don't know if it is or not. I haven't compared it to other teams, but 125 in a season seems like a lot. We're only three quarters of the way through. So, um, yeah, maybe we can break some tackles this week. (laughs) Well, I mean, anyone who's watched an Oklahoma game this year, I mean, we all know they are susceptible to giving up just huge, huge chunk plays and, and long touchdowns, which, you know, unfortunately, WVU hasn't done very well this year, but maybe we can rip off some big plays and, and uh, keep it tight because, as we know at home, they they typically make it an interesting ball game. Um, but yeah, just just to wrap up the breakdown of Oklahoma, you know, I normally come on here, I predict either a close loss or or I call for the upset by WVU. But uh, just because I'm a fanboy and I always want to look at WVU in a good light, but I I just feel like this week I can't lie to myself anymore. Um, I won't predict the score. But I think Oklahoma wins this game. Um, That doesn't mean we won't support the Mountaineers. Heck, we'll even be at the game in Morgantown. So, um, But I I just can't sit here any longer and claim that I believe they'll win. I always try to find a route where WVU can win games, but eventually they just got to prove it to me because these last few games that I've watched – yeah, it, it just it almost feels like it's inevitable anymore. Like even if it's a tight ball game, I still sit there and feel like WV is going to find a way to lose this because they just have for four straight years now. Yep, yep, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I definitely think WV is going to lose. Um, I would say forty-five twenty-three. That's what I'm going for. Casey Lake, offensive MVP. 
<laughs> which he, he probably has been all year. He's been solid. Um, we hear Neil Brown talk about special teams enough in his press conference, but to be fair, the punter and the kicker have been great all year. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, uh, real quick, we, we just wanted to mention WVU's basketball team picking up their first win of the season against Mount St. Mary's, um, 76 to 58. You never want to put too much stock into these early games against weaker competition. But, um, you know, I, I thought there were a lot of things to like. I love the team effort overall. Um, shooting was certainly a concern in the first half early on, especially from three. But they, they had a really good second half. They really bounced back. They shot 58% after halftime. Um also, you know, we knew this coming into the season, but it just seems like a more Bob Huggins built team. Great hustle, tough defense, transition points. I just thought there was a lot of encouraging things, even though it was a game that you should obviously win by a good bit. Yeah, I think the the biggest takeaway from the game um, was that we can rebound. I mean, I don't know how Mount St. Mary's big men are going to match up against big 12 big men. I sure it's not close, but we actually have three or four guys now that seem like they can go up and grab a board when we need them to. Um, And they're big. And we have guys that I feel like we can lean on a little bit more who are more physical, more comfortable playing in that low post and a little bit more um, multidimensional. Last year we had some big bodies um, and they just either couldn't, couldn't rebound. They were more of a shot blocking defensive big guys. Now it seems like Huggins has kind of found guys who are more built to get rebounds, offensive rebounds. You know, Wag had a a really nice game. Um, I think, I don't know if he finished with a hundred percent, but I know he was shooting a hundred percent. Most of the game, Uh, Jimmy Bell had a lot of rebounds. Conquo is someone who I expect to kind of see develop more throughout the season because I feel like, you know, from a, a skill st- a skill standpoint, he is really, really skilled and athletic for his size. Um, and then you have someone like Trey Mitchell is more of a four, but you know, once he is a hundred percent healthy, um, he didn't start at the game, but I think he is someone who's going to start this the season once he's um, fully healthy, but he's going to be special. I mean, coming off the bench, um, scored 13 points, didn't play a ton of minutes. Um, he could definitely be the leading scorer on this team come regular season basketball. Yeah, all those guys impressed me. Um, McGee looks like he's going to be a monster. Nine points, nine boards, and um, so I really like the way he played. Trusant and Keedy played well on defense. We're going to need that from them at the point. Um, but the two guys who really stuck out to me was Emmett Matthews looked good in his return just because he contributed all over the place. I believe he was the leading scorer, 15 points, seven boards, five assists, two steals, just an excellent game, excellent in transition. And very similar to him was Stevenson. Um, I thought he shot the ball well. And um, once again, just all over the place, he, he had um, pretty even in points, boards, assists, steals. So lots of things to be encouraged about. WVU takes on Pitt this Friday at Pitt. That should be fun, even though Pitt's been really down these last few years. You know, obviously, it's always fun to see WVU versus Pitt. Um, so looking forward to it. Like we said, it, it's good to, you know, 
you know, temper expectations a little bit. Don't get too hyped over a, a one and a start. But um, like everyone keeps saying, it looks like a Huggy Bear built team. And it gives me a, um, a lot of optimism for the season. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm expecting, you know, I'm, I'm being conservative, 25 wins. I'm joking. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean I, I think this is a team that um huggins can coach a lot more in the way that he wants to so um rebounding that the, the offensive rebounds are huge for the type of offense that huggins wants to run as that antiquated it is it works when you have the right guys and at least from game one it seems like we have um at least six or seven right guys and some of the other guys it's going to take a little bit longer to kind of figure out what they have where they fit uh but, you know, we'll see. Um, you know, I definitely think that uh, I was encouraged to see Kobe Johnson and Seth Wilson still get minutes. Um, and I think they're going to continue to grow as the season goes on. And those are two guys that are really going to kind of um, be able to provide a spark off the bench, it feels like, um, with um, Huggins leaning on some more of the veteran guys. And, you know, as time goes on, maybe they can earn a spot and, you know, push one of the other guys out. But, um, we still have some young guys on the team. I also was encouraged that they played uh, Josiah Harris or Davis. Um, I know we have a, a jo- two Josiahs, one's a Davis, one's a Harris. Harris, um, I, I, yeah. Yeah, Harris. Um, because he's someone who um, I, I think from a size and length and you know potential skill standpoint could be really good. And I'm really encouraged that Huggins was playing him so early. Because he seemed like someone who um, maybe needed some time to kind of get adjusted because he was – coming off an injury in high school before he came in, but um, it seems like Huggins trusts him. So if he can continue to get minutes through um, the rest of the non-conference, who knows what he could develop into a come conference play. So a lot of really encouraging things, um, but it is the first game of the season and uh, time will tell on how well this team does throughout the end of the year. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I could see this team maybe sneaking into the tournament. I'm not going to overhype them and say this is a tournament team. I could see them making it, but I think if they do, it's going to be kind of sneaking in in the last week or two. Um, but I definitely think this is a team we're going to bare minimum see in the NIT, which, hey, that that might seem like something you don't want to you know, say. But keep in mind, last team, no one wanted <laughs> not even the NIT tournament. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, you know, I think that's a good conservative answer is, you know, a bubble team. Um, Cause we should definitely at least make it that far with Huggins style. It's really going to lean heavily on, you know, can Emmett Matthews play like this every game um, is Trey Mitchell. Is he going to be able to consistently play um, as kind of a main primary score once he is fully hundred percent healthy? Cause I do think that the offense is going to need him to kind of be the guy that's one thing that we kind of saw is that I think Stevenson is a really good kind of secondary score. Um, I was really encouraged by Emmett Matthews passing. I know you alluded to his five assists and that's encouraging because we need more ball movement last year. I'm not sure how many games where we had someone with five assists. Um, so, you know, if, if Matthews can even average four assists, that's, that's a huge win. Cause I'm not sure if we had that last year. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. And that's it for us, guys. I know this episode was a bit of a downer, but I mean, that's just kind of where WVU athletics are at the moment. Luckily, it's basketball season, so maybe we can have some more cheerier episodes. And who knows? Maybe the Mountaineers can give us something positive to talk about next week. Um, 
with their football program. Who knows? We shall see. But thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week. Fire Neil Brown.